Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. I'm in Ryan and Callie's life group. Yeah, we know who likes who more. Uh, so my old title at our church used to be uh, Pastor Groups and Discipleship. That is now changing, and we'll talk about that later today. But I oversee um, our finances, uh, our pastoral care. Uh, I think my new title I think Ken has given me is uh, Pastor of Implementation and Operations. I think it sounds really official. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, all that to say is I don't get to come out to play with you guys on Sunday morning very often. I'm usually in the back doing other stuff. Uh, so, but I'm super excited to be here with you guys today and of all weeks to talk about anxiety, everyone's favorite topic. And uh, for fun, I guess, this morning I woke up and noticed my, I'm starting to lose my voice already, which does not help with anxiety. <laughs> so... If I start losing my voice in this, I'm not going through puberty. I already did that once, and I crushed it. Um, pray for the 11 o'clock gathering that I don't sound like a dying chicken. So, anxiety. Okay, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, just under 20% of our population have an anxiety disorder of some sort in this past year. That's one out of every five people in this room. It is, it is estimated one out of every three people would experience anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. Between 1997 and 2004, Americans have spent more double, sorry, excuse me, Americans have doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medication like Xanax and Valium from 900 million to 2.1 billion. I can't find much more reliable data past 2004, but I did read at one place that amounts spiked 34% during COVID alone. And the data actually gets more concerning as we look at the younger segments of the population. Psychologist Robert Lehay pointed out recently that the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Psychologist Jean Twinch wrote an article for The Atlantic where she said, it is not an exaggeration to describe today's young adult generation as being on the brink of the most worst mental health crisis in decades. And I could go on, but I don't think I need to. The point I'm making is that I think most of us are already in agreement with is that we have an anxiety problem here in America. And none of that is indeed to shame anyone over their struggle of anxiety whether you have a clinical diagnosis or not, on medication or not, anxiety is a real thing impacting millions upon millions of people. And I'm right there with you guys. This has been an incredibly hard season for my wife and I. Our adoptive son is going through a lot of behavior uh, issues where 
All of his behaviors, therapists do not know what's going on with him. He's already been kicked out of one daycare on the verge of kicking out the second one. He's doing great. <laughs> um, and because of his issues, typically the daycare will call around noon to let me know if he's having a particularly rough day that I need to come pick him up. So every day at 11.45 in the morning till about 1 o'clock, my anxiety just starts to shoot up. I can literally feel it in my body. I become extremely irritable. And in fact, my watch will give me this uh, pretty judgmental notification during that time. It says, hey, it looks like you haven't been moving much, but your resting heart rate is above 120. <laughs> I'm overweight, but I'm not that overweight yet, at least, I don't think. Um, and I'm just dreading this phone call that could or could not be coming every day. Now, for you, it might not be a phone call you're dreading from a daycare. For you, it could be a phone call that you're dreading from a family member or an ex. And maybe you experience soaring heart rate throughout the day instead of certain parts of the day. Maybe for you, anxiety manifests itself as nausea or chest tightness or antsiness or irritability. Maybe you never experienced anxiety yourself, but chances are you will experience it in the future or someone close to you will. So this morning, I wanted to talk about anxiety. I want to dig into what scripture says about it, what causes it, and what to do about it. But as we do that, I want to make two important disclaimers. First, I want to acknowledge up front the term anxiety is a very, very broad term. In fact, almost unhelpfully broad for someone like me who wants to give a teaching on this subject. The National Institutes of Mental Health defined anxiety disorder as encompassing any of the following. Panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, agoraphobia, specific phobia, social anxiety disorder, PTSD, OCD, and separation anxiety disorder. And that's just the things included in the definition of anxiety disorder. It doesn't include anything that any of us may experience who might not be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder by a medical professional. So I say that in order to acknowledge that probably not every single thing I'm going to talk about this morning applies to every person with every one of those experiences. That would be a very, very difficult thing to do. Nor am I here to offer a silver bullet that will fix your struggle with anxiety this morning. I want to be very honest about that. But what I'm going to at least attempt to talk about anxiety broadly in such a way that most of what I will be saying has some sort of application for everyone that struggles with it. And beyond that, I'm going to have to trust the Holy Spirit and with the help of your community that can help you sort through anything that may or may not apply to you. Does that make sense? Okay, that's my first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is that nothing I say this morning, nothing this morning that I'm saying has the intended purpose to discourage anyone seeking medical help or med uh, medical attention for their anxiety. There are churches who will say things like, we don't need Xanax because we have Jesus, which to me feels very silly. It'll be equivalent saying, I don't need Tylenol because I have Jesus. You still have a headache. It will be like saying, like, I don't need a car because I have Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. It just, it doesn't 
make much sense to me. Because it, I think it really discounts the fact that God can work through common grace, things like medicine, just like he can work without it. So nothing I'm saying this morning is intended to discount or dismiss the helpfulness of medicine to cope with anxiety. Sometimes medicine acts like a common grace gift from God to help alleviate some of the psychological term, uh, symptoms of anxiety so that we can think more clearly about it and get to the roots of it emotionally and spiritually. But that does connect to a point that I also want to point out before you this morning that could be controversial to some, that anxiety is always at least a spiritual problem. Anxiety is always at least spiritual. Anxiety may be just spiritual, or it may be spiritual and physiological, psycho psychological, environmental, and social situations, but it is almost always at least spiritual. So in some way, we shouldn't dismiss the medical and environmental component of anxiety. We also shouldn't dismiss a spiritual component of it either. In a lot of cases, you have to think about both. So today, I want to take a look at what Scripture says about it, see if they can bring us some help in navigating through our anxiety. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 12. Turn with me to Luke 12. We're going to be pulling the bulk of what we talk about this morning from there, and then we'll jump into Philippians 4 later on. But I want to frame up our time this morning in three parts. The problems with anxiety, the source of anxiety, and the response to anxiety. I'm going to do my best attempt to do a three-point Presbyterian sermon this morning. We'll see how that goes. But we're going to spend a little bit of time on each. So first, the problems with anxiety. Let's start with our passage in Luke 12, 22. The problems with anxiety. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. The word translate worry, or in other, transla in other translations, anxiety, is the Greek word marim, uh, that's marim now. I think that's the way to say it, marim now. I'm, I'm, I'm not Greek. Uh, most literally, it means divided into parts or to be pulled apart in different directions. And to be honest, I cannot think of a more descriptive word to describe the experience of anxiety. Because when we're anxious, at least often, that's how we feel. We feel like we're mentally, emotionally divided like our minds and hearts are being pulled apart in several different directions. We become preoccupied with all the things that we're anxious about. And Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not be marim now about your life. Now, there's, that's a pretty broad thing to be not anxious, right? Don't worry about your whole life. Do not worry about what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Now, you might hear that and go, well, that, that's fine. That's, that's actually not what I'm anxious about. I, I'm not anxious about what I'm going to eat. I'm not anxious about what I'm going to wear. But I am worried about my health. I am worried about my relationships. I am worried about what I'm going to do after I graduate. I am worried about my career. I'm worried about my marriage. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my retirement. I'm worried about way bigger things than just food and clothing. But it is here I think we need to understand some context about what Jesus is saying here and who he is saying this to. The people Jesus is talking to were, by and large, people were living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. 
Everything they own probably fit in one room, which is probably good because the entire home, if they own one, happens to be only one room. So the reason Jesus brings up food and clothing isn't because he thinks that's the only thing that people ever worry about. It's because those were the things that his particular audience were worried about. So they were worried about food because they need to figure out where tomorrow's food was going to come from. Or probably where today's food is going to come from. They worry about clothing because they only have one to two items of it. And something happens to it. If it gets worn out or gets stolen or lost, they immediately have a, a problem on their hands. Those are things that people were most preoccupied with, most anxious about. So that's why Jesus brings those up. So while Jesus only mentions food and clothing explicitly, I think his reasoning applies to almost anything we find ourselves anxious about. And with that established, Jesus, Jesus mentions at least two practical problems with anxiety. First, he says in verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So the first problem with anxiety is that anxiety truncates life. Anxiety truncates life. And Jesus is right. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. But anxiety will have us to believe otherwise. Anxiety convinces us that life is as small as a thing we're anxious about at that moment. It truncates life to that one thing. It gives us tunnel vision if we're anxious about a career, that's all we can think about. If we're anxious about our kids, that is all we can think about. If we're anxious about health, that is all we can think about. Anxiety takes away our ability to think about many other things other than the thing we're anxious about. And life is so much more than the things we're anxious about. But we tend to forget about that in the middle of it all. Second, Jesus says this in verse 24. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. And then he says something similar down in verse 27 through 30. Consider how wild fowls grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more Will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Not be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Here's the second problem with anxiety. And honestly, it's a continuation of the first when you only focus on anxiety. The second problem is anxiety ignores God. Anxiety ignores God, specifically ignores God's affection and provision towards you. In the middle of your anxiety, we tend to forget, at least forget to operate out of God's care for us. So in effort to combat that, Jesus says, look at the birds. See how they don't do anything to plant food or grow it, and God still feeds them and gives them what they need? Look at the flowers. They don't toil or spin or labor. They don't live in anxiety where they're going to wear and how they're going to make it. Yet God clothes them too. One thing we tend to forget in our anxiety is the care and provision of God. Now, it will be very easy here to misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Some people hear these verses and think Jesus is saying, look at the birds. Nothing ever bad happens to the birds. Look at the flowers. Nothing ever bad happens to the flowers. Look at the grass. Nothing ever bad happens to the grass. So people read this passage almost like it's Jesus' Bob Marley moment. 
don't worry about a thing. Everything is going to be all right. But I actually don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. For one, just read the details of this passage. Jesus says, and I quote, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire. <laughs> if Jesus wanted to tell everyone everything is going to be all right, he could have used a lot less fire and burning metaphor in this case. <laughs> and if we're honest, can we just acknowledge that Bob Marley's freedom from anxiety has nothing to do with acknowledging <laughs> God's provision in his life? It has everything to do with a different type of grass. <laughs> it's a marijuana joke. It's a marijuana joke, everybody. This is why they don't let me play out here on Sunday mornings. All right, but here's what Jesus is saying. He's communicating that God is attentive to the needs of his people. That God is attentive to the needs of his people. If he provides for the needs of the flowers, the grass, and the birds, all of which are not human beings made in his image, how much more will he provide for us? How much more can he be trusted to meet our needs? Now, not all of our desires or wants, not all of our preferences, but certainly our needs. And then here's the third and final problem with anxiety. And this one's by far the most blunt. That was not a pun, I just realized. I made a marijuana joke and I said blunt. That was actually not intentional. I like it, though. I like it a lot. Way to go. I don't know. Way to go, us, teaching team. All right, are you ready? Here's the most direct one uh, with, the, with the problem anxiety. Anxiety is ineffective. Anxiety is ineffective. Simply put, anxiety does not work. Look with me at verse 25 and 26. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? The simple fact is that anxiety doesn't help anything. Worrying about something, in most cases, does nothing to resolve the thing that you're worried about. And most of the time, it doesn't even impact it in the least. Mark Twain famously said it this way, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. How much time do you and I spend being anxious about things that never end up happening? For me, it's quite a bit. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. Even when some of those things do end up happening, me worrying about them did not change how I feel about it when it did happen. And some of you might say, sure, but sometimes bracing for impact helps us our ability to endure it when it happens. And that well, it may be true, but it doesn't stop the impact from happening, though. And even more, what kind of damage are we doing to ourselves by walking around bracing for dozens of different impacts every week that may never end up happening at all? A.J. Cronin was a Scottish physician who spent some time studying what people spend the majority of their time worry about, and here's his findings. Real legitimate problems made up 8% of people's anxiety, health-related concerns 12%, what he called petty miscellaneous concern, 10%, but notice the next two. Things that happened in the past that cannot be changed made up 30%, and 40% of people's anxiety were future things that never happened. It is with no doubt uh, this research contributed to his now infamous quote and conclusion about anxiety. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, 
but only saps today of its strength. So anxiety is ineffective. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The answer is no one. None of us can. But anxiety, because anxiety has never helped anyone to do anything, has never solved any problems, has never helped us deal with life's sorrow and traumas, has only ever hurt us. Anxiety saps all of our energy to where we're so exalted that we feel like we can no longer enjoy the joys of life. Suffering is when something makes you miserable. Anxiety is when you make yourself miserable. So here are problems with anxiety. It truncates life, it ignores God, and it's ineffective. But here's the issue. Those are logical reasons to not worry. And at least most of us probably don't worry because we think it's a logical thing to do. Maybe some of us, but most of us do not. Most of us us probably can rattle, rattle off logical reasons that we should not be anxious about the things we're anxious about, but that doesn't change the reality that we are indeed anxious. So that helps us move on to talking about the source of anxiety, the source of anxiety. I think Jesus gives one simple yet profound statement in this passage that can help us discern and discover what the source of our anxiety is. You ready? Look at me. Look with me at the last verse in our passage, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word treasure there more literally means storehouse. It refers to a place that a person will store away and keep safe anything valuable. And the heart in the Hebrew understanding wasn't just about a person's emotions. It refers to the seat of their entire being, their thinking, their feeling, their will, their conscience, all of that. So knowing both of those things, here's what Jesus is saying with that statement. Whatever you value most, there your heart will be also. And interesting enough, whatever you value most in life is likely going to be the source of your greatest anxiety in life. So to reverse engineer that for our purpose this morning, we could put it this way. What you are most anxious about reveals what you value most. What you're most anxious about reveals what you value most. Your anxieties are one way that your heart is trying to reveal what you care most about. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to make progress in addressing your anxiety, you need to trace them back to your treasure. And sometimes doing that is a process. It's a process that feels incredibly difficult, but let me tell you a secret to it. It's actually quite simple. It's starting to ask the question, why? Why? You know how kids sometimes will just ask question, why, over and over again? Like my son Luke is doing this now all the time. Why is red, red? It's red. But why? I, I don't know. It's like the only method of torture that he knows how to do. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do, but in a more helpful way at least, less torturous way. Let me show you how this works. Let's say you're most regularly anxious about money. You're checking your bank account balance constantly. You're pulling your hair out every time you look at your budget. That's the thing your life, in your life that's causing you most anxiety. So let's start there with the question, why? Why are you anxious about money? Well, because my bank account balance is low. Okay, why is your bank account balance low? 
Well, because I didn't budget well last month, spent money on un unnecessary things. Okay, why did you spend money on unnecessary things? Well, because I have trouble saying no to things I want. Ah, so now we're at the bottom of it, at least some of your anxiety. And if that's true of all of you, your anxiety might be due to lack of self-control. And the good news is that self-control is something that we can grow in with the Holy Spirit's help. In fact, it's like one of the top seven things that the Holy Spirit wants to generate in your life, in, according to Galatians 5. But by asking the question why, you can trace your anxiety back to its source and then start to do something about it. Let's do another one. Let's say instead the thing you're most anxious about is your kids. Okay, you're, constantly, you're consistently stressed about if they, have, if they have what they need, if they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing or not doing the things they're not supposed to be doing. So let's ask the question, why are you anxious about your kids? Well, because I'm anxious that they're not going to turn out the way they're supposed to turn out. Okay, why would that be a bad thing? Well, because that will reflect poorly on me. Okay, why would that be a problem? Because it matters a lot how people think about me. Okay, but if you're doing everything you know how to and still turn out poorly, why would that, why would that matter how people think about you a certain way? Well, because it's important that people think well of me. Ah, I think now we're at the source of your anxiety. The, so the bottom of, it, of a lot of your anxiety is your desire for approval and acceptance from other people, which turns out that's, a, that's one thing that Jesus wants to set you free from. We actually talked about this two weeks ago here. Let's do one more. Let's say you're super anxious about your work. Okay, why are you anxious about your work? Well, my boss might not, be, uh, might not approve of my performance. Okay, why, why does that matter? Why well, might I lose my job? Okay, what happens after that? Well, I won't be able to provide for myself and my loved ones. If I, if I don't do that, who's going to do it? Ah, now we, get to the, now we have gotten to the bottom of it. That the source of your anxiety is that you feel like you're the only one that can provide for yourself and the people around you that you care about. That you are alone in this endeavor. But by tracing your anxiety to this point, we have good news. Because the Bible speaks over and over again that God does care and he will provide for you and those around you. Now, what I just did here in a couple minutes honestly could take years of discipleship and growth and counseling and hard work, not to mention particularly, potentially medication to allow your mind enough clarity to do the hard work. It's not always this quick. But this is how the human heart actually works, though. And here's my main point. If we view anxiety as primary something to get rid of, we miss out on what it's trying to show us. If we view anxiety as primarily something to get rid of, we miss out on what it's trying to show us. So how do we respond to this? And what is the response to anxiety? If we're able to trace to the source of anxiety, then what? What do we do about it? Let's look at Philippians 4. Philippians 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's interesting that Paul here is encouraging the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord, then immediately follows up with, don't be anxious. 
It's almost like our ability to experience joy in Jesus has a direct connection with our anxiety. I think Paul here gives us two ways to respond to our anxiety. The first one is present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul is saying, cast your anxiety toward God. It's a very honest and raw prayer and interaction with God. A lot of times it could simply look like this. God, here's the thing that I'm anxious about. Here's the thing that feels overwhelming to me. It feels crushing and there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to put it in front of you and I'm walking away. I can't, I'm going to let you worry about this because I can't worry about it anymore. To me, this conjured up an image of a child who is scared and run towards their dad and snuggle up to him in a chair just so they can be held by their dad and to be comforted by him, to feel safe and know that their dad is there with them. So perhaps the question here is, do you see God as your heavenly father that desires to have this type of relationship with you? That he desires this type of vulnerability to be there to comfort you? When you feel overwhelmed, do you find yourself pulling yourself away from God and isolate like a scared child sitting in a corner alone crying? Or do you look to your Heavenly Father and run to Him and let Him comfort you? Which one are you? So there was a time in my life where I was completely free of anxiety, 100%. I don't remember ever being concerned about where my next meal is coming from. I don't remember ever being stressed out about whether we have enough money to pay rent or mortgage. I don't remember ever freaking out what's going to happen tomorrow. I was also three years old. <laughs> now, you could argue the reason I wasn't stressed out because I haven't been introduced to the brutalities of life yet, right? That could be one argument, but I would argue there's a bigger reason than that. I wasn't worried about all those things because I had someone taking care of me that was concerned about them. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's true of your God, your Heavenly Father, that he says you should not be worried like everyone else is worried because you have a dad who cares about you deeply. The second thing Paul says how to respond to anxiety is make gratitude a regular practice. Make gratitude a regular practice. Notice Paul add, added a word to that stuff about prayer. He said prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving. Why? Why Thanksgiving? And doesn't it feel almost impossible in the midst of your anxiety to be thankful? Can I let you on something why I think that's the case? Why it feels impossible to be thankful while you're anxious? Because one prominent lie your anxiety is telling you is that there's no way God will be there for you, that he will provide for you, that he will be there to catch you. In that moment, we don't believe that God can give us life apart from the things we're anxious about. So gratitude is actually a weapon against anxiety. It cuts down anxiety's ability to convince us that life is not found in our God. So when Paul is telling us to go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, he's actually encouraging us to attack the lie of anxiety directly. That there's beauty and good found in life and that beauty and good comes from your Heavenly Father. He's there with you right now, and He cares about you right now, and He will not forsake you. 
So here's a practical way to live this out. A guy in my life group will put three by five note cards all over his house. And the note cards will be Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So when he brushes his teeth in the morning, boom, it's right there on the mirror. When he goes makes his coffee, boom, it's right there on the cabinet. When he takes a poo on the toilet, boom, it's right there in front of him. <laughs> prayer with thanksgiving all the time. And then he says, he will then pray with thanksgiving about the thing that he's worried about. So when he's worried about money, he thanks God for the job that God has given him. When he's worried about his job, he thanks God for all the abilities that God has given him that got him his job in the first place. He seeks and finds the things that he can, be, he can be thankful for in the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of the things that he's anxious about. He finds things to be thankful for. Look, I'm not here saying just silver line things and ignore the things you're anxious about. I'm saying in the middle of your anxiety, combat anxiety with gratitude. Romans 8 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I know a lot of us in this room may have heard this verse before, but I'm hoping that I will help you hear it hopefully in a different way this morning. Here's what Paul is saying. If God did not hold back his own son for you, does it not follow that he can be trusted to give you the things you need? If he did not withhold the most valuable, precious thing in the universe, what makes you think he's going to bail on you now? So I think one of the loudest lies we hear in the middle of our anxiety is that I'm not going to have what I need. If this happens, I'm not going to have the things I need. But you see, in Jesus, God saw to it that we don't ever have to wonder about that anymore. God proved at the cross once and for all that he can be trusted to give us what we need. Maybe not everything we want, maybe not everything we wish we had, but everything we need has been provided in and through Jesus. If Jesus, in the midst of the most intense torture and suffering that he has experienced on the cross, did not abandon you, but choose to stay on the cross, he will not abandon you, whatever you're facing now. Church family, do you know how deeply God's love for you right now? Do you understand that? Do you know because of Jesus, the pride and smile that come across your Heavenly Father's face when he looks at you? He is for you. He is with you. So my prayer for our church family this morning is that when anxiety starts to creep in, when we start to feel life is overwhelming, when we struggle to even breathe because of the weight of life that's coming crashing down on us, I pray that in that moment you realize that you have a friend in Jesus who is right there with you in that moment, he has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. And that you have a heavenly father that holds everything together, sees what you need, and he said, I will provide for you. And that the Holy Spirit will wash you over with that truth in the, in the midst of anxiety. And that truth will give you rest. That truth will give you peace. And a deep sense of joy knowing that everything's going to be Okay. Because you are God's beloved. So in this little bit, next moment, we're going to do communion. We do it every week. But this is a perfect time for you to slow down enough to reflect what does the cross actually means. It means that you, you have been restored to God. Not only just restored, but he looks at you 
with a sense of joy and pride that he wants to provide for you. It gives, that's why we do it every week. It gives you a moment to pause and go, I am not alone. I have been reconciled to God. I've been reconciled to God's people and that he, his spirit dwells within me. That's why we take the time in our Sunday gathering to do that, to remember that, to take the, the bread and the juice and everything to remind of what has Jesus done for us on the cross. So that's what we're going to do in a little bit here. So my prayer and encouragement to you is to do that. Don't rush up there, but take this moment to go, God, here's, here's this thing in my life that I, I feel like I can't do anything about. It feels overwhelming. It feels like I cannot control it. I can't, I can't keep worrying about it. So I'm just going to give it to you and you worry about it. And help me trust you that you're going to provide everything that I need. So that's what's, going to, that's, that's what's going to happen in the next couple minutes. I encourage you guys to do that. Let me pray for us.